morning. A bit of stage moving here, that's fine. Okay. So I don't know if you noticed, but uh, a, a couple of, oh, for a few weeks, if you had ventured bravely to the toilets at the top uh, near the youth room, you might have realized that the corridor was a little narrower than usual because of the abundance of fruit that there was. There were so many apples there that even my son Owen couldn't eat them all. And that's saying something. He loves his pink lady apples. Uh, and there was loads of them, wasn't there, Phil? And, and there seemed to be more crates coming in all the time. Of fr- what else was there that came through? There was apples, cabbages. That's not fruit. Go on. Uh, kiwi, tomato. I love that story about tomatoes. You know, the, that knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing you don't put it in a fruit salad. You know that one? So we had, there was just loads. Now, that's not the reason why we've chosen this next series. It's also not, the, the reason isn't because we did the whole out on the streets with lots of fruit and giving them away with, you know, love attached to them and joy. And peace. It's not because of that. Um, we're looking at this really well-known list of characteristics. Now, without looking at your device or your thing, can you list them? Okay, ready? Love. It's exactly, apart from Lisa, who just knows backwards, um, it's exactly the same as a 9.15, right? It was like, love, joy, peace, (laughs) (laughs) self-control. It's really funny. So well done for knowing some of them. Um, So how many was that? Let's go through them. How many fruits were there? There There's one, two, nine. Some some people actually try to say there's 12, okay? Um, But the thing is, actually... um, Look at all those, isn't that lovely? That's what normally attached to, aren't they? Actually, there's only one. There's only one fruit of the Spirit. The Greek word is karpos. So it says the fruit of the Spirit is. It's grammatically awkward, but theologically brilliant. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, <laughs> self-control. We're going to be spending a few weeks looking at these in detail, but um, this is the, the kind of launch of, of this series, and uh, this is, it's reminding us that this, is the, this one fruit isn't a pick-and-choose kind of fruit stall. It isn't that you decide, I'm waking up this morning, today I'm going to be mm, loving. Um, I'm not going to bother with self-control. I might have a touch of patience, and goodness, well, let's just see how it goes. It's not a pick-and-choose thing. This is one fruit of the Spirit. All these and more. And, and, and fruit, come on on in, it's all right. You go, that's fine. Fruit and fruitfulness, it's, it's a really common theme throughout Scripture. I'm not just talking about the, the apple or whatever it was in the, in the garden, but we're thoroughly encouraged about being fruitful about producing fruit. Well, what's all this about? Well, fruit, clearly, it's an important food, isn't it? You like a, a nice apple, you know, you know, a nice ripe whatever. You, you like a bit of fruit. But the thing is, that wasn't the prime purpose of it. We're not meant to be just the sole end users of fruit. 
In the creative order, it's meant for so much more. So let's have a little think about that just for a moment. What is it about fruit and fruitfulness? Here's a pretty apple tree that, that makes it so important for us to consider fruit of the Spirit. So first of all, abundant fruit is a sign of life and health, isn't it? We've got uh, a cherry tree outside the front of our house that was um, bought for, for Neve when she was uh, younger, and we planted it, and it produces the most huge number of leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen many cherries. Uh, and similarly, we, um, for, for my birthday a few years ago, um, the guys got me... Um, a couple of apple trees. So we planted them, did all the work, and get them all. And for the first year, there's no fruit because we, we read a book and said that's what happens. The following year, we were ready for our abundant harvest of five apples. Because, and actually sadly, one of them is clearly not, not producing a great deal and the winds blew and it fell down. It wasn't fully healthy. It wasn't a sign of health and life. Whenever you see a, a tree or a plant that's just blooming in with fruit, you kind of know that's a healthy tree. There's life in that. Similarly, if we aren't displaying fruit in the same way, the fruit of the Spirit, the question needs to be asked, am I spiritually healthy? It's a question for us to carry around with us. Am I spiritually healthy? And hopefully as we go through this series, it might help us answer that question. That's the first thing. It's a sign of health and it's a sign of life. Second thing, awkward in church, it's a sign of procreation. Oh, no O's. I thought there might be. Okay. <laughs> the importance of fruit is that it's not just for food. It's not just to end up on the shelves of Morrison's. It's actually a progenesis. It's a procreative process that fruit is important. What's the point? Fruit carries the seed. Fruit carries the seed for future plants. It's progenitive. It's procreative. It's meant to expand more and more. What's the point? It's more trees. More of that type extends, expands, and continues. It's not just for our appetite's benefit. Fruitfulness is about the dispersal of seed. So when we read about that throughout Scripture, about being fruitful... It's about the dispersal of a seed. It's about the expansion of God's kingdom. Not just about tasty fruit. It's about multiplication. And part of that is that fruit is attractional. That's why it's brightly colored. That's why it's sweet. That's why it's good for eating. It's attractional. Even ugly fruit. Has anyone had ugly fruit? It's quite nice, isn't it? About the same as that, you know that there's a plant that um, when it kind of flowers and blooms, it smells like rotting flesh. That's even attractive to something. Because fruit has to have an attractional quality in order to disperse the seed. And that's the metaphor of us. We are bearers of the seed. So are we attractional enough for the seed to get out there? Because I'm not convinced that uh, belligerent, grumpy preaching or belligerent and grumpy Christians are necessarily effective in the dispersal of the seed of the gospel. It was a style once. I don't think it's particularly effective because the seed needs the fruit to be attractional. So those are the reasons we're thinking about fruit. So let's get to um, these, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I've led this topic a number of times, particularly with the youth. Um, and I've done it in some other kind of context with um, church weekendy kind of things. And I don't know if, if this is what happens with you when you read these things. 
But I kind of imagine or I give the activity of the fruitometer, which is I read each one and I kind of go, how am I doing? And I kind of give myself a mark. I'm going, I'm not too bad. And I've actually asked people to do that. So as you go through, love, joy, peace, can you give yourself a mark out of 10? How are you doing? So you have one minute. And I would like you in that one minute to think about these nine qualities. How are you doing in them? Okay? Give yourself a mark out of 10. I'm not promising. I won't ask. Okay? So one minute, have a think. How are you doing about each of these different areas? Of love, of joy, of peace, and of patience. How are you doing in kindness? How are you doing with goodness? How are you doing with faithfulness? With gentleness and with self-control? But you've had enough time. So, who gets 10 in any of them? Any nines? We have a nine! Brilliant. Do you want to tell us which characteristic? Self-control. Self-control. I'm looking for a reaction from your wife. <laughs> okay? <laughs> ten out of ten. Okay. Anyway, anyone got an eight? Any, any eights out there? We've got an eight. We've got an eight. Any, any sevens? Any sevens? Any sevens? Who's got, a, who's got a six out there? Really? Are you all scoring five or under in most of these things? This is a little bit scary, okay? Right, the thing is, there's a massive danger in this. It's an activity I've done loads. It's almost instinctive when I read them that I start marking myself out of 10. But there's a massive danger that we fall into the trap of the whole self-improvement schemes. You know, there's whole shelves of these books. How to be a better person. How to do this. How to be more like this. We can fall into that trap. And there are a couple of pitfalls around this. The first one is the whole could do better. Who didn't look at that? I'm suspecting a lot of you from the fact you didn't score more than five. Um, that you looked at some of these and went, yeah, I could do better. Uh, am I right or is it just me thinking the worst of myself? It's just me. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Lisa knows me really well. That's kind of scary. Uh, you read this and we kind of go, well, I could do better. Maybe you read these, these verses with a sense of trepidation and, and, and unwillingness to engage because... You just know you could do better. And so you walk away feeling a bit rubbish and a bit of a failure. And it's especially linked to that heinous illness that Christians have of comparisonitis. They're really nice. They're so patient. They're so kind. And I'm rubbish. Or a sense of apathy. Do you know what? I have some weak areas, but hey, that's just me. It's part of my charm, really, being impatient. And hey, it's how God made me. He loves me anyway. It's a bit of apathy. I can't be bothered. You know, I don't want to be joyous. I don't like being patient. I'm becoming a very unhappy, grumpy old man, thank you very much. And that's just the way I am. Or maybe, like this guy here, there's a sense of, uh, you know, oh, sorry, no, it's this one here, of pride. You know, I look at those things and I think, actually... Compared to that person beside me, I'm doing very well indeed. <laughs> you know, I'm very patient and uh, I'm very, very kind. And yeah, I'm clearly proud of my humility. Um, <laughs> there's a danger of arrogance that we look at those and we go, yeah, I'm doing okay. 
Or there's the complacency, putting your feet up, going, I'm good enough in all those areas. I'm not so good there, but you know, that's okay. I'm good enough. Remember, we're not talking about fruits, picking and choosing. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit. It's singular. It's not just one or two or three or four of them that we're meant to be good at. It's all of them. All of them. Really? Sounds a bit exhausting, doesn't it? I'm tired even thinking about it. And this is where, if you don't remember anything about this morning's sermon, this is one of those really key and important things that you remember throughout this morning and the next number of weeks. What we are talking about is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is not the fruit of a really good Christian. This is not the fruit of you and of me. Yes, they can be positive human attributes. Of course they are. There's loads of people who we know that have nothing to do with the church and have maybe even rejected Christianity who are loving and kind and generous and good. In fact, sometimes to our indictment, the church and members of the church have been the least likely to be exhibiting these characteristics, which is shameful. These characteristics do not originate with humanity, but they exist within humanity because we're made in God's image. We all have the capacity to do these things because we're, we're made in God's image. While still being fallen, we can display these attributes. And although they can be damaged, they can be squeezed out of us by people and by circumstances. They are inherently the characteristics and qualities of God. And these characteristics and qualities of God are ultimately clearly seen in the person of Jesus and is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. This is a Trinitarian idea of fruit. And these qualities, attributes, and attitudes, they particularly stem from the core of love. And we'll look briefly at that a little bit later. They are the result, the consequence, the outcome and evidence, the proof of a living, vibrant, transformative, present, ongoing activity of God in our lives. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's the proof. It's the evidence. I've heard people and I've, heard, I've read books that say the evidence of being a Christian is the ability to speak in tongues or the ability to pray or read your Bible or whatever. Those are gifts. Absolutely brilliant. But actually the thing that indicates that God is at work in you is that you become more and more like God. That you, dis- you display the fruits of the Spirit. Remember Paul said you can speak with the tongues of angels and men but if you've not got love you're just making a religious racket. The fruit of the Spirit. Now think about those, the fruitometer again. <laughs> How we work out whether we're, uh, we're doing well or not. And we do still need to ask ourselves about how we're doing in these areas. Maybe we don't need to ask ourselves. Maybe we need to ask our spouse, our partner, our best friend. Maybe we need to ask our worst enemy. How am I doing in these areas? Or how about really pushing it? Asking God, how am I doing reflecting you? See, because the question that we ask is not actually how am I doing? It's not are you patient? It's are you becoming patient? 
And I doubt people would want to give themselves 10 out of 10 for any of these. But are you becoming more and more like these attributes? This is an active process. So have you seen a difference in yourself or in others because of the work of Jesus Christ? Remember, fruit, if it's successful in in growing, is not supposed to stop after one season's growth. It's meant to keep on going and going and going. Keep producing. It says in Ephesians 5 and 18, um, Paul writes, um, be filled with the Spirit. And the Greek is a continuous present, which means keep on being filled. Keep on and on and on being filled with the Spirit. And by extension, we can say keep on producing fruit. Not just as a one-off thing. Keep on producing. Now these verses and the week's uh, sermons to come, they're not meant to be an assessment of how you are doing in each area exactly. It's not like who can get a gold star for going from a six to a seven in joy this week. It's not a measure of how good you are doing or how to be better. No amount of willpower can truly change who we are like the Holy Spirit can. So we ask the question of how do we go about this? How do we see more of the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives? Well, the first thing to remember is fruit doesn't just appear, it grows, doesn't it? I was a bit frustrated. Whenever I bought an, I got an apple tree, I kind of wanted apples. And then I read the guidebook and it said, well, you're not going to have a crop for the first year. You'll have it the second year. I had to wait because things grow. They take time. They don't just magically appear like that. So I want to ask, who here grows fruit? (laughs) Anybody? Okay, what do you grow? Joel, what do you grow? Uh, Apples, Apples, okay. Who Who else grows stuff? Malcolm, what do you grow? You grow gooseberries, you grow blackcurrants. Anyone else grow stuff? Yeah, what? You grow tomatoes? Yeah. Martin, what do you grow? You grow raspberries? Um, yeah. You grow rhubarb. Oh, that is a fruit, isn't it? Okay, just checking. I'm really sorry, but I completely disagree with all of you. Not one of you grows a single thing. If you want to disagree, put your hand out and grow a tomato. (laughs) You don't grow anything. It is God who grows. No amount of activity, intention, willpower, or self-improvement, or any resolution, new year or not new year, will make make the change within you that the Holy Spirit can. Transforming, molding, and growing you. So... You might as well stop trying. Is that a relief? You can stop trying to be joyful and joyous and patient. You can stop trying, yeah? Sadly, that's not exactly what it's about. Can we just sit back and relax and do nothing and let the Holy Spirit do everything? To do a character makeover on us? The thing is, we have a really significant part to play. Now, whilst we can't will these qualities to grow in us, even though we may try with our intentions and resolutions and good attempts, whilst we can't grow fruit, our role, our responsibility is to cultivate it. So each of you that told me that you grow fruit, truthfully, you cultivate fruit because it's God who grows it. It means that we have a part to play 
in the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit of God. So there's four things that I think as we look at the fruit of the Spirit and as we go through the, all the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit over the next few weeks, what can we do to cultivate growth? Well, the first thing is that we need to have the right conditions, don't we? Uh, Jesus told the parable of the sower. We're really familiar with that, where there's different types of soil. Um, some seed grows, some doesn't, some produces fruit, some doesn't. And we know from any gardening that we've done that if you plant, if you plant the, a seed in the right soil, in the right conditions, it will flourish. So the question is, what are the right conditions for you for fruit to grow of the Holy Spirit? What are the conditions that you need to be in? Are you in the best place to cultivate the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you finding role models, examples, and helpers? Are you putting yourself in situations that enhance the growth of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Or are you doing the opposite? And the prime condition, the prime condition that is needed for the growth of the fruit of the Spirit is your willingness is that you want the fruit of the Spirit to grow in you. That's the right conditions. And surrounding yourself in the right way with people and situations that will enhance the growth of the Spirit of God within you. And kind of linked to that is not just the right conditions, but the right input. Um, you know that you need to have not just the, the, the right soil, but you need to have something which provides nutrients. You need to provide water. That's why we water our plants. It needs to have experienced some sunlight. So what are you taking on board to actually feed the growth of the Spirit of God in your life? I know it's a strange concept, feeding the growth of the Spirit, but what are you taking on board that will enhance the growth of the Spirit in your life? And yes, it's the same message. We're not going to change it, which is read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. It was a children's chorus I learned whenever I was six. And I'm sorry, it may be cheesy, but it is the truth. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you need to be taking in the right stuff. Taking in the Word of God. You need to be spending time in prayer. You need to be worshipping God and, and receiving fellowship and being part of that fellowship. These are the things that cause growth. We could do lots of things with the planting of apple trees. We could dance around it. We could put blusher on it. We could tie ribbons and go, please grow. But it doesn't matter because that's not what makes it grow. Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be slightly mixing metaphors because we're meant to be basking in the light of the sun. We're told to stay connected. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever seen an apple kind of just pop into existence. It's part of an apple tree. A banana doesn't just in Morrison's shelf. At some point, it's been growing and been harvested. We need to stay connected to the plant, to the tree, to the vine, because a fruit doesn't grow on its own. And with this, if you want to turn to John 15, it's one of the most amazing passages, I think, um, particularly verses 1 to 10, but all of it. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He knows he's going off um, to be crucified at some point very soon, and he'll be he heading off kind of to, to glory. And here he is giving his advice. It's almost like gardener's world. <laughs> 
in 10 verses, Jesus says the same word 10 times. And that word is remain. Remain. The old-fashioned one is abide. Remain. Stay connected to me. In fact, he goes even further. He says in verse 4, none of you can actually bear fruit unless you remain in me. It's not possible to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit unless you are connected to Jesus. He says, I I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. And not just any old fruit, but fruit that will last. Ten times he says it in within ten verses. Do you think Jesus is trying to make a point to people who don't get it? Stay connected to me or you won't produce fruit. It's no coincidence, and maybe you've experienced this, but it's no coincidence that the more time I spend with Jesus, the more of this fruit I see in the way that I act, in the way that I react, the way that I treat people, in the way that uh, I interact with others and situations. The more time I spend with Jesus, the more I see this growing in me. And equally, the less time I spend connected with Jesus, the less I see these characteristics in my own life. Maybe you are different, but I suspect you're not. It's funny whenever people move countries. Um, when it, uh, you know, we're going back to Northern Ireland in a little bit to visit family, and I know that after being there for about 30 seconds, I will be speaking probably four times quicker than even I do now. And my noise will be nice. And my R's will be massive. And I'll be back home talking like my mum and dad. And then I'll come back over here and everyone will be going, what are you talking about? Apparently, I'm, my accent is somewhere over the, over the Irish Sea near Isle of Man at the moment. Because whenever we are in a different culture, a different community, we take on the accent of what surrounds us. It's particularly evident when people um, go to Australia and they spend a bit of time there and they come back and they talk like they're an extra and neighbours. Um, because we take on the accents, the nuances and the turns of phrase of the place that we exist in. And it's still the same. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we'll take on his accent, his turn of phrase, his way of being. Because Jesus is actually really quite contagious. He's easily caught when we spend time with him. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit, it's his Spirit that grows within us. The more time we spend with him, the more we'll be like him. And the final part about this cultivating is the need for pruning, weeding, and protecting. With so many references in Scripture to um, weeds, to planting, to fruit, to trees, it is like a biblical episode of Gardener's World, isn't it? You just need a Monty Don in a, in a smock and sandals to walk out at some point. It's really important, this, in the cultivating of fruit in our gardens and also the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's the part that we get to play Because there are things around us that want to stifle and stop the growth of the seed of God within us. That wants to restrict the growth of the spirit within us and therefore the fruit. To inhibit the growth of God in our lives and reaching out to others. We see this in verse 
16 and 17. It says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the sinful desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Because there is actually a battle going on. And it's a little bit like Tom and Jerry. Do you remember whenever um, Tom, the cat, was trying to make an ethical choice? And whenever he was confused, at some point, there would pop on one shoulder a little devil and pop on the other shoulder a little angel. And they tell him which, which way to go, the, way, the good way and bad way. And, he'd, and, and that's a bit of oversimplification, but it's kind of reflective of what the Bible says, which is that there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. It is a bit too simplistic and has led to some dodgy theology and practice. You know, that the spirit is good, all good, and all flesh is bad. It led to extreme asceticism where you beat your body, you starved your body because really that's a carnal desire, must be evil, and go and pray in a corner and you'll be good. And that wasn't a good message to send around. Asceticism rejected God's beauty in creation. But it does ring true, doesn't it? Paul writes about it in Romans 7. He says, the good I want to do, I don't do, even though I really want to do it, because there's a battle raging within me on a daily basis. And we need to prune and weed out the things that stop us growing. That's our responsibility. We need to put in in place things that will protect our growth in the Spirit. And if we don't really understand what that looks like, look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature. Now we know about crucifixion. We've done the Easter story enough times. Crucifixion was an incredibly effective way of killing people. Now in case you're not aware of that concept, it means that they'd be dead. And only one person's come back from that. Crucified the sinful nature means the sinful nature is dead. Too often we crucify the sinful nature and then go and get it off the cross again because we're quite partial to it. We're reminded in Scripture we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We are born again. It says we are dead to sin, alive to Christ. These are extreme examples because that's how we need to treat the sinful nature. Another word for it, at least referred to last week as well, is repentance. It's turning away, it's rejecting uh, the ways that are are not good for us, are not good and honoring to God. It's an ongoing daily renouncing of the former ways of living, acting, thinking, and reacting. And this is what repentance looks like. Those acts, written down there in verses 19 to 21, which Joe read so wonderfully. Maybe you recognize some of them. I'm sure you recognize at least one of them, because I'm sure you've been jealous at some point, or you felt a little bit of rage or anger. We recognize those acts and those are the things and more, he says, that we need to repent of regularly. Luke 3 and 8 says, Jesus says um, that we need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance and ongoing weeding, pruning and protecting, choosing to put to death the actions and attitudes which stunt and inhibit the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is the perfecting of the image of Jesus within us. Coming to know Jesus and growing to love Jesus, there should be a demonstrable change within us. 
We've seen it with some of the people from Alpha, that kind of sudden flourish of change where their friends and family are going, they're different because they've been exposed to the Son of God. They've taken in the Holy Spirit and are exhibiting some of the fruit. And they are different. I think I told you a few weeks ago, one of the ladies who came, she went home and she was so full of joy, her children were freaked out and went, can you go and take the Holy Spirit back? We're freaking out here because you're so different. There should be a change. So bring in the fruitometer, not as a marker of saying, how are we doing? Where's the gold sticker for my improvement in joy this week? But as a guide to recognizing, is there more of Jesus in who I am than there used to be? Do we want to see more of this fruit of joy, peace, patience, love, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Do we want to see that in ourselves, in our homes, our families, our church, in our community? Do we want to see it because it means that we'll be nice people? Because that's not the reason. We want to see it because it means that we are more like Jesus. More like Jesus. Jesus. And the most fundamental aspect of this fruit, we'll touch upon very briefly, is love. That concept that's had a million songs written about it, even more greeting cards and a few sermons as well. That concept that we're so familiar with, that's been marketed, this eros, we know that we've heard sermons that there are four types of love in Greek and that this one type of love we're talking about is called agape. And this type of love is grace-filled, unmerited favor, affection, selfless, other fool, sacrificial love. But let's just sum it up. This love is God. 1 John 4 and 16. It says, God is love. The way I want us to see it over the next number of weeks is a little bit like fireworks. We're coming up to fireworks season. But you know that firework that goes up and when it explodes, other fireworks explode from it. And then, you know, they cascade down like that. Instead of us seeing these as nine individual fruits that we can just pick and choose from, that from love's first explosion, the agape, self-sacrificial love, which is seen ultimately in Jesus, and that God wants to form more and more within our selfish beings to become selflessly like Christ. Maybe that, that, that explosion of love will lead to further explosions of love, of joy, of peace, of patience. That these are part of the one thing. And this one thing is the characteristics of the Spirit of God being more and more exhibited in our life. Over these next number of weeks, let's resist the temptation to mark ourselves out of ten and either pat ourselves on the back or slap ourselves on the wrists. This is not about how well we're doing. But we use these words, these powerful words that we're going to be looking at over the next eight, nine weeks and be committed to cultivating the fruit of the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Lisa.
Thanks, Phil.